I'm Juita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. The Paralympic Games are the world's number one sporting event driving social inclusion. Fair sport as a rule has developed a track record for challenging deeply rooted misperceptions about people with disabilities. For the para-athletes, who are the backbone of any inclusive sporting event, para sport represents an opportunity to achieve sporting excellence and to scale new heights of personal accomplishment. Many para-athletes make waves outside the sporting world as well, being passionate advocates for the rights of people with disabilities. Today, we discuss disability sports and advocacy. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Juita Gupta. As always, I'm delighted to be with you. Before we go much further, I wanted to remind you that if you haven't already done so, please don't forget to like and subscribe to this channel. We upload videos about once a week, and so whether you catch us on YouTube or a podcast or even on the broadcast on AMI-audio, it's a good way to be notified about our next video, just to make sure you don't miss anything. Over the next three weeks, we'll be hearing from some remarkable people. We'll be meeting two out of three inductees to the Canada Disability Hall of Fame. The Disability Hall of Fame recognizes Canadians with disabilities who have made an exceptional contribution to the lives of people with disabilities. Next week, you'll be hearing from Michelle Stilwell, and the week after that, from Natalie Wilkie. But first, I'm really delighted to introduce to you my guest today. Chantal Benoit is widely recognized as the greatest female wheelchair basketball player in the world. She achieved remarkable success over more than two decades with the national team. As a seven-time Paralympian, Benoit won three gold medals and a bronze. She leaves a remarkable legacy on and off the court. And Chantelle Benoit is being recognized along with Michelle Stilwell and Stephen Harper as three inductees to the Canada Disability Hall of Fame. Chantelle, hello and welcome to The Pulse. I am so happy that you could join us today. It's a pleasure for me. Thank you for inviting me. Chantelle, congratulations on your induction to the Canada Disability Hall of Fame. You have received so many accolades, won so many medals in your life. What is the significance of this moment for you? It has been a very good news when uh, they called me to let me know about this, but uh, it was a bigger uh, honor to be inducted with uh, fantastic people like Stephen Harper and Michelle Stilwell uh, through my career. I have been, uh, de- I developed my career um, along with those people, especially with Michelle, where I shared the, the floor with her uh, everywhere in the world. Uh, and uh, just being nominated with them, as it's tremendous. Do you remember where you were and what you were doing when you got the call saying that you were going to be inducted to the Canada Disability Hall of Fame? I was just working, right? And then you received a call from Vim. And Vim just uh, tell me the big the big news, and I said, speechless. Uh, are you sure? Like, <laughs> is it happening? Especially with Michelle and and Stephen Harper. I mean, it's a good crew to be to be inducted with them. Uh, it's a it's a kind of a 
a long road accomplishment to be uh, to be all together towards the towards that line. So it it was good. You talked about having a long road of accomplishment and. You have been a part of wheelchair basketball and the Paralympic movement for almost 30 years now. So you had your breakthrough movement in 1984. And to be perfectly honest with you, I wasn't even born in 1984. When you look back on those almost three decades of involvement, how have things changed? It changed a lot the, uh, because, see, the uh, before when the wheelchair sport started, it was using, they were using the hospital equipment. So it was very heavy and big, and uh, it was like slowing down the performance of an athlete. And when I started wheelchair basketball, it was about the same years where the light uh, wheelchair came into the market. Uh, the, they had no brakes, they had no side guard, there's color and different angle on the wheel. So we saw, I saw the development of the equipment uh, along the, those 30 years. And it has been massive, uh, not only the equipment, but also the knowledge of all the coaches, the knowledge of all the staff people surrounded uh, a sport team like ourselves. And uh, and then there was more, more uh, information to be the best you can be on the court. Uh, so it, it has been it has been a huge development. As much as the technology grew up a lot on those 30 years, I would say wheelchair basketball and wheelchair sport in general uh, developed immensely. It's crazy. You mentioned something earlier that really piqued my interest. You said that there's been an evolution in the the knowledge of the coaches and the staff of wheelchair basketball. And as someone who hasn't played wheelchair basketball, it's actually the first time that I've thought about the fact that there might be a difference between how you coach wheelchair basketball versus how you coach able-bodied mainstream basketball, if you will. What sort of differences are there? No, well, it, it is a good question because people has the, the tendency to, uh, to believe that wheelchair basketball is not a regular sport. Uh, you do have basketball and it's play with people that has no disability and it's stand up and you do have a wheelchair basketball that they are using a piece of an equipment which is the wheelchair uh, both are two separate sport with their own regulation and their own way of of accomplish the the two score the two point at the end of the day at the same time though it is the same spirit the same concept to be the best you can be and you develop yourself physically off court uh, training yourself in the gym and uh, learning how to uh, accomplish things, uh, looking at some video or talking with your coaches to see what should I improve, like any other sport go through. And wheelchair basketball is the same thing. So the coaches, uh, they, they just need to learn uh, the sport, what the sport is all about. And the coaching is the same. Uh, you're using the best of everyone on the court some people are good at this and some other people are good at that. It's a team sport, so the coach needs to put the, the, the completion with that team and make, make a winning team. Uh, and this is what you'll find in any other sport. I'm afraid you're going to have to indulge me because every time, and I mean every time I have an athlete on the program, I like to ask them the exact same question, which is how much training do you actually do? So when you were 
you know, gearing up for a big international competition. Chantal, how much training would you actually engage in on a day-to-day basis? When I started uh, wheelchair basketball, there was no emphasis on the on the training, but we were playing each and every day. Um, I do remember in the 90s up to, I would say, 2000, I was uh, a member of um, a local, regional, provincial, national, and inter- international team. So, And we had tournament for each of them and practice for each of them. So at, at the end of the day, I was playing wheelchair basketball each and every day and tournament every weekend. Uh, we could have a season of 75, 80 games per year. And uh, and that is only the games, uh, and I'm not counting I'm not counting the Paralympics and the World Championship uh, event. So that was pretty much what an athlete through wheelchair basketball was doing. After that, uh, it was more uh, you develop the the gym. I mean, it started the knowledge of the coaches and um, having you uh, at the top of the, your fitness. Um, was was happening for yeah for for the sport like any other sport. So on top of that, you were spending time in the gym uh, to to complete the goal that you you were setting up. Yeah, your goal, right? When we think about athletes, especially high performance athletes, I'm thinking about able-bodied athletes who perform in the Olympics, for example. They get a lot of support. There's sponsorship agreements. There's a lot of coaching support. In the almost 30 years that you've been involved with wheelchair basketball, how has the support for para-sport evolved and changed in Canada in all of these years? Well, I would say at the beginning when we were starting, it was all about your pocket money. That is, That was the reality. But later on, you know, wheelchair basketball has been recognized as a, as a sport like any other one. And we were, uh, we started to be carded by Sport Canada in 1994, uh, and then the budget for the National Sports Organization increased a lot. I think they are like five million today on the uh, if somebody can correct me, but it's pretty high uh, um, um, uh, funding that the National Sports Organization has on hand to develop the national program. So. I would say, and more and more, you have Toyota, you have uh, uh, lots of other uh, sponsors that are putting putting their help into it. And I, I would not, I, I will not, uh, the problem I have right now is more that at the national level, uh, in international, there's no problem for the money. I think the problem is domestically. Uh, at, the, at the basis level, this is where we need to put a lot more uh, time and effort to allow the, an organization to be healthy and uh, and provide opportunity for them to grow. And we are in a situation right now that you do have a, a local team who will have a star athlete. And unfortunately, the star athlete will be taken by the national organization away from the local organization would bring the local organization on the bottom again. And I think we should focus a little bit more on this to create a, a, a bigger and stronger foundation and uh, to have at the same time automatically the best national team program. You said in the beginning when we were talking that when you started with wheelchair basketball, it was like getting your pocket money. So 
how exactly did you get your start in wheelchair basketball? It's a funny story. I was at the rehab center and uh, they asked me to come in the basement to play wheelchair basketball. And uh, good enough, I said no, because I, I, I don't have a disability. I want to walk and I was taking my crutches and I went away from it. I did not even go take a look. And two, three years later, when I was home, a friend of mine uh, bring me to the Jutes Quebec uh, to a demonstration game in wheelchair basketball. And I, when I saw the game, the speed, the aggressivity, the, the intensity, uh, I just fell in love with this. And we decided to start a team uh, less than a year after in Saint-Hyacinthe, and the rest is the story. Um, just in love with it. So... When you got involved with wheelchair basketball, there wasn't a team locally, not in your in your neighborhood or in your area. How did you go about recruiting for your team? Did you have to sell people on the idea or were there a lot of people who were already interested in the game? No, we, well, it, it was, a, a, it's, it's a site, it was a, a, a 40,000 community where we were able to find uh, six, seven uh, people, person that wanted to, to have something, don't do not forget. And back in the eighties, there was not much around for people with physical disability to be part on a physical activity. And uh, when the wheelchair basketball team started, then people were interested, and uh, and they came. Um, the team I played there eight years. I'm not. I'm saying that a lot of people from Montreal did help us to teach us the fundamental of it. Um, but it was just recreational. It was a social aspect of the game, which is very important in sport. Uh, and uh, when my my focus was the national team, uh, I did have, well, I fell in love with someone that was in the national organization, and it did help me to move away from, from that local organization to another one in Ottawa. And in Ottawa, there was about seven national team members playing there. And uh, the carrier just just started there. And things just took off. Yeah, you know, it's just the rest, as they say, is history. You have had such an extraordinary career. You have, you've been a flag bearer for Canada. You've won so many medals. And I'm sure if I were to ask your friends, they would be able to point out some pretty memorable moments. But I'm going to ask you if there was a single moment which you look back on with a great deal of fondness. If you had to think of the one thing in your years of playing wheelchair basketball, what would be a highlight for you? Well, it's. Uh, I think I already mentioned that for uh, uh, from another interview. the the uh, The national women team was in this area back in nineteen ninety, and uh, the first world championship for women was during that that year and Canada almost said no we're not sending a women team there because there's no future no hope for that development but um, they were able to convince to do that one one more time and when we show up in Saint-Étienne in France the uh, we won the bronze and that was the first medal that the women team accomplished on the entire history of uh, of the women program and the coach that was associated to it uh, was hired only for that tournament. But he said, you know what? Give me two more years and we're going to Barcelona, do the same thing. And Barcelona, of course, uh, it was so emotional 
so intense and uh, and we were working for two years so hard and, and long uh, with the win of that gold, the first gold medal ever in front of the 18,000 people in the stadium. I think I will never forget that. That was probably the best. And it all starts out with a group of people being determined and saying, well, hang on a minute, Canada should also have a wheelchair basketball team for women. Why shouldn't we send one as well? And following that, we got, yeah, we improve each and every year. And uh, and we were learning. We were also uh, uh, opening our door to every knowledge coming from everywhere, technically, you know, tactically, emotionally, psychologically. So the team opened their, uh, their windows to bring as much people to make them the best we can be. You, you know, throughout our conversation, you've talked so much about your coaches and the people who mentored you. And of course, yeah. now you're in a position where you get to be a mentor to other people. What advice would you give someone, maybe a young person with a disability or even someone who's just acquired a disability, who is making that first foray or that first exploration into, I guess, para-sport in general, but wheelchair basketball in particular? Yeah, well, I would just say um, a lot of people has a pre-judgment uh, of something they never tried. And the, uh, you have to, to do it. Uh, even if it's one time, you have to push yourself uh, to give you that opportunity to touch and feel. A lot miss that opportunity, unfortunately. And you will never know what you will like. And and today there's so many and so much uh, uh, possibility not just in sport, you know, in every other sector. And you just have to go and, and touch it. And and when you, you got what you like to do and you think you're not good enough, but because you like what you do, you have to push yourself to the max. And even though it takes you two hours to reach the rim of the basket, you have to keep pursuing and keep shooting until you hit that, that rim. And uh, you will see that... Uh, Put another two hours and the ball will go in and never, never give up. Always push, push, push and be the best you can be. Um, it's only yourself who can limit yourself. That was really nice. No, really, that was so well said. You should, in fact, put it on Didn't a T-shirt, to be perfectly honest with you. You mentioned just at, at the beginning of our conversation about how momentous it was for you to be able to share this moment with Stephen Harper and also with Michelle Stilwell and... I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, in your years of involvement with, with wheelchair basketball, the ways in which you think your legacy as an athlete may have helped you make change for people with disabilities beyond the sporting world. Oh, no question. Uh, I, I, I strongly believe, and I did a, a big paper at university about it, that sport changed everything in our society. Um, uh, you know, uh, every every athlete and uh, team athletes has to travel. For example, they have to travel to go to their competition. You know, believe it or not, but back in the 70s, when you took the, the airline, uh, a plane, the Air Canada uh, was putting a maximum of one person with a physical disability with one attendant. That's it. So it became very difficult to send a team of 12 athletes to Vancouver, for example. And because of there was so much sport going around and so much 
uh, wheelchair and people with phys physical disability to travel, the airline company changed their their regulation and changed their law to accommodate the the traveling of all of that sport uh, member. Same thing with the accommodation, the hotels. I mean, there was no wheelchair accessible rooms back in, in the 80s, for example, or very few. Today, a hotel that is built out, it's like 10, 20, 25. I mean, it's it's just a simple example, but you can imagine in in the social aspect, in the financial aspect, every aspect have been um, influenced by, by uh, a sport for... Uh, people with disability, no question about it. About changing attitudes with people with disabilities. The same yes, thing. I, I know the same thing. Especially in wheelchair basketball, mm -hmm. because in wheelchair basketball, the country is so big and we are only 35 million people across a huge land and a superficie. Uh, comparatively to Germany, who is like, how many times fit in Canada and is five, six, seven times more populated. So it was very, it's very harder for us to uh, create wheelchair teams around. So we, we did, and because we believe that um, the, 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 the wheelchair is part of the equipment, we opened the sport to everybody who wants to play. You have a physical disability, fine. You don't have, it's fine too. So we did create a, a kind of a classification system allowing me to play with my brother or play, play my, with my neighbor, uh, having a system, the classification that will allow the, everyone to have floor time without uh, putting the, the, uh, the athlete, the wheelchair athlete aside. And, uh, and just that has been uh, uh, a big influence of changing uh, perspective. I know that's really great. I can certainly see how if people with different abilities are able to play the same game, it can break down some of those barriers and take away some of that stigma that yeah. people with disabilities face on a day-to-day -day basis. I only have about a minute and a half left. And so I really have to ask you this one last question. You have been called the Michael Jordan of women's wheelchair basketball. What does it mean to you to be compared to someone like Michael Jordan? Yes, I um, <laughs> thank you, Ellen Hill. That was the person who started the, the the name and the nickname. But you know, one thing that is important to mention is um, uh, even though I was a quick player, uh, a fast player, um, a, a deceiving player, like I, I like it to squeeze in and squeeze out. I mean, the ball needed to come to me, and uh, I, I I have a tremendous appreciation for all the players that play with me and uh, and make me look good because it's just because they gave me the ball and I was able to accomplish something and uh, and it's not it's a hard uh, it's a hard position to be a guard and to be a, a center and all that kind of stuff to to make another player look good and I would say um, I said thank you to my teammates. Your humility knows no bound. Now, Chantal, unfortunately, I really just have that last minute left to go. And I'd like to ask you what you think you're going to work on next and what the future holds for you. That is a good question because I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I mean, I am involved with a, a business uh, called 49B Spoke. And, uh, and I... I, I am really into it. I am passionate with it the same way I was with wheelchair basketball. Just 
just focusing on the moment and not really see the future, but uh, the doors are open for whatever is happening. One thing I, I need to mention is uh, my partner and uh, the one who started uh, to make me look good and feel good and be, you know, uh, known the way I am, it's Reg. Uh, Reg has been a tremendous um, a supportive pl a person in my life. And w without him, I would not be here today. I mean, he, he has the, the vision and the... Uh, the perspective, the perspective uh, of of what things needs to be done and what need to be doing, and this is this is pretty much under his direction. That I think I am what I am. I know I do have quality to make this happen, but the opportunity I was talking to you about it at the beginning of the show is is exactly what Reg gave me the the opportunity to be the best I could be, and uh, I have a long way to go to go. And he's pushing me all the time to to reach that. It's been such a pleasure to speak to you. My heart is heavy having to say goodbye to you. But unfortunately, we are all out Good. of time. Thank you so much for joining me on the program today. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. That was Chantal Bonnois, who is a um, ca Canadian Paralympian and a phenomenal wheelchair basketball player and one of three inductees to the Canada Disability Hall of Fame. Next week, you'll hear from Michelle Stilwell, another inductee. And the week after that, you'll be hearing from Natalie Wilkie, the recipient of the King Clancy Award. So I hope you'll tune in for those future conversations as well. If you have any feedback on my conversation with Chantal Benoit, please feel free to write us an email at feedback at ami.ca. Give us a call at 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to leave permission to play the audio on the program. You can also find us on Twitter or, well, it's known as X now, but you can find us by looking up at AMI-audio and using the hashtag PulseAMI. And of course, if you're finding us on YouTube or listening to the podcast, please feel free to leave a comment down below and we would love to read them out as well. And I do try and respond to comments when I see them on YouTube. Until next time, it's been a pleasure talking to Michelle, to you, about Chantal Benoit's remarkable legacy in sport. The Pulse is brought to you by a number of people every week. Our videographer this week has been Ted Cooper. Video editor has been Jordan Steves. Mark Aflalo is our technical producer. Ryan Delahanty is the coordinator for AMI-audio podcasts. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. And I've been your host, Chuita Gupta. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day.